This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I am this week's party host. I am the platforming prodigy. I am Mark Robinson, and I don't know where the fuck anyone else is this week. They've all just disappeared, but thankfully, thankfully still here. He is the Prince of Stamford Bridge. He is Jack Lazel. Jack, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, like, last time we were on the air, uh, and it was St. Patrick's Day, and they, they mentioned driving the snakes out of Ireland, and I thought that was a bit harsh, mate. Uh, you know, it is, but you know, I'm to be honest, the kind of like anti-English uh, kind of sentiment and whatnot. I've never really felt it uh, while living here, outside of when the English national football team. <laughs> I was going to say outside of when you leave a room and they're like. Huh. Fucking Brits. <laughs> Possibly. Do you know what? As long as they don't it to my face, I'll. Uh, I'm, I'd rather I'm it was to my face. I, I want to be in on the joke. Well, mm, well, I'm sweet D and the jokes on me. No, I just, I don't know. I, I. You've got a sweet D and the jokes on you. It's that's this is an always sunny reference. You're not you're not an always sunny person, are you? I've only seen episodes here and there, and there. I've, ah. I've, I've sort of like a, I've sort of like picked at a few. It's intimidatingly long to start watching. Like intimidatingly it is, long, it is. But I mean, you fucking like powered through the office in like what a couple of weeks. Actually, no, you and fucking Taskmaster. All right, you can't talk about anything considering how quickly you got through that show. The first five or six episode uh, series of Taskmaster, there's like six or seven episodes, is there not? That's that's true. That is true. Um, I mean, I would say if you was going to watch Sunny, I'd say just start from like season two where they introduce Frank or Danny DeVito. Got to about season eight or nine. And you've got pretty much like there's some episodes afterwards that are still pretty good, but that's kind of where like the core um, kind of gold gems of that show exists. So you know, if if you did at any point actually want to kind of really kind of break the back off of it, I'd say just start from season two. Um, season one's fine. It's just there's a little bit rough around the edges. There's absolutely no production budget to that fucking thing at all, which I guess kind of adds some charm to it. But it definitely is one of those, like a lot of other shows, where it's that. That first season where they're sort of trying to figure out what the show is meant to be. And it's a mid-2000s known- trope, isn't it? Like, because you, yeah. you, you say the same thing about The Office and you say the same thing about Parks and Rec. Yep. I mean, yep. uh, you know, arguably took 30 Rock a few episodes to kind of get going as well. Um Community was pretty good from from the, from the lead out, but like a lot of shows around that time had real issues early doors establishing what they were. I, I don't know. So they've solved the pitch. We've got an idea. Um, I guess the idea for Always Sunny is these are the worst people on the planet, and they all they share a bar. Let's go and watch them. But uh, it, it's pretty much it. And you look at the script, and it probably just says, right, these two people have an argument for the next three minutes. We'll, we'll figure out when we start filming. Yeah. Uh, which, in fairness, they kind of then kept doing for another fifteen seasons or so. Um, yeah, it's anyway, an, this- yeah, honestly, it's ridiculous how long that show's gone on. It really is. Like it's crazy. It's it's almost like I don't know. Does it? Is it making money for a network somewhere? Like, because not well, many on, people it's watch on it. FX, um, and uh, well, FX have had it since day one, so you know they must be happy with the return on investment with that thing at this point. I guess so. I don't know. So it's, it's a bit of a mystery to me. Like someone's someone's funding it for some sort of like nefarious scheme. Um, anyway, I'll just I'll just watch um, you know the the AFC Wrexham documentary again and then get my Rob McElhenney <laughs> from that. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, but for myself, uh, I'm pretty good. I was I was back in the motherland for the last two weekends. Uh, that wasn't kind of the intention, but 
Um, I was going back to see a friend of mine who released his game actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I went over for like a, a, a launch party celebration, and then also <laughs> was it a lunch party you. or a lunch party? <laughs> it was a launch party. Uh, so I, and then I saw you as well. You know, we 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 met up for the first time in what it was like. It was uh, our friend's wedding. I think was the last time we saw yeah, each other. A, a disappointing length of time. Um, it was, but I'm I'm gonna try and get back over once or twice more this year because uh, my whole like fear of flying thing, which I started to develop a couple of years ago. Um, I'm I'm really at the point now where I'm certainly at least for that flight the trip to to England. It's such a short like it's just one hour and and at least at minimum I can handle that and I'm not you know freaking out because when I went to when we went to uh, Italy in 2021 and that was at the height of me not being able to handle flying just at all. On the flight back from from Italy, uh, I openly started weeping on the plane. Just broke down in front of one of the air stewardesses. Um, you know, just having like a, a mild anxiety attack. Just you know, really, really in a bad place. Since that time, I've done quite a few. Uh, all of the flying I've done since then has been. I think the longest I've done was flew uh, to, to Brussels. But outside of that, it's been to either uh, England or to to Cardiff. And I'm definitely at the point now where I can handle that hour. Um, it's it's not long enough that I'm going to start getting a bit antsy or anything. Um, I crucially for me at least because I the way I kind of handle flying now certainly like to England. Most podcasts I listen to are at minimum an hour, and you know I listen to to a couple of podcasts a day more or less. Um, so it's like all right, let's find a podcast. Right, that one's an hour. I know, you know, this is going to fly by. And at the end of this, I'm already at or at least close to the end of my destination. And those sorts of things have helped me uh, kind of, you know, like just sort of get my head around the flying. Uh, and just, I guess just kind of distract me from the flying. So obviously, if I do a super long flight in the future, I just need to get to the point where I can watch any of the Lord of the Rings films, which I've now done, uh, and I'll be fine, except I don't like quite a large portion of those films so i gotta find something else but i don't know what large portions is there like like 10 minutes in there that you really like uh yeah the whole like last sequence of the two towers is pretty good that's you know that's yeah. that's, that's a very well shot scene I'll, I'll give jackson that um and i actually i, I liked most of the <laughs> I first just imagine film. him like uh, thanks mark yeah he's welcome he can, should be very welcome <laughs> i didn't like that third film i thought return of the king was was really fucking tedious for large portions of it i mean i dave somewhere like this is your revenge on on dave it is yeah it is for calling you a snake turn up like yep. you know this is shots are being fired uh that that whole like last fight sequence is infinitely uh inferior to the one that takes place in the film before it and i don't know he got it right with two towers i love the battle of helm's deep by the way that's the coolest battle i think in lord of the rings oh it is absolutely yeah that, that yeah. like to me that is like burned into my brain um, yeah, every it, time and what i appreciate about that particular uh, fight sequence as well is that there isn't even though obviously there's you know cgi is kind of littered in around the place it doesn't feel like it's over relying on it in the way that i do feel like that last one in return of the king does for me yeah i mean just them coming over the hill and i do like a siege 
I, re- I realized that when I was watching Game of Thrones and there's a couple of like siege episodes in Game of Thrones uh, and I was like oh yeah that's, I, I don't know I, open field battles I suppose are, are, are cool or alright they can have their moments but just I, I kind of like the idea of like there's a bunch of people and they're trying to break into this thing and, and you know take this thing over and then the, the people inside that are resisting and yeah uh, that, that, the Battle of Helm's Deep was very much one of those um, I will say, I really feel like that kind of open field fight scene sequence, not to give the man any kind of level of praise, but I guess I'm going to do it here. But I feel like we've kind of perfected it with Braveheart and everything since has been because of that, that over-reliance and CGI, a lot of stuff just gets lost um, in the kind of like grittiness that exists. Yeah, you need to watch Game of Thrones. There's some good open field battles in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Speaking of things that take fucking 300 hours to watch, I think I'll pass, thanks. But the thing is, Right, like right from the off, right from the first episode, that thing slaps. It's the the last two. It's a complete inverse problem that you're talking about with Always Sunny. Is that thing flies out of the traps, right? Absolutely on fire. And for the first four or five seasons, it's great. Then it's a bit like, eh, you know, I can see where they're going because they start losing the thread of the George R. R. Martin story. And then season seven and eight are just out to fucking lunch. They are in another planet altogether. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would recommend watching the first, even just the first episode of Game of Thrones. And, and the way the first episode ends in particular is going to make you want to watch the next episode and it just that the first few series of that show are so moorish you just want to know what's going to happen more and more and more and it's uh yeah I, I, honestly mark just as an experiment watch that one episode that first episode again for commit to like it's like 50 minutes i think 55 minutes something like that just commit to that and see what you reckon well, in the meantime, Jack, um, tell me, you've got two things on here. I want to save the, I'd say, one I'm more interested in for, for after. So uh, tell me about Shazam. And uh, <laughs> did you see the, that fucking clip of, um, uh, what's his name, Zach? Uh, Zachary Levi. Yeah, do you see the video of him saying like, "Hey, you should go see my film instead of John Wick. This is a family film. This is this is the one you want to see." And I was like, uh, "No, nah, I'm good, thanks." Yeah, um, I mean, if you have the choice, if you have kids, Mark, you don't really have much choice. I mean, you, you definitely we'll talk about it in a minute, but you can't be taking your kids to see John Wick. My word. Um, yeah, so Shazam: Fury of the Gods was kind of disappointed by it. And really, I think the main reason, having soul-searched for the last week since I've seen it, uh, I think the, one of the main reasons I didn't like it was Zachary Levi. Um, I, you know, he plays, obviously, Billy Batson. Uh, Billy Batson in it is actually, uh, when he's Billy Batson, he's played by um, Asher Angel. He's like a, a teenage actor, although I think he's sort of reached the age of 20 now. So I think maybe he's got one more Shazam in him before he just starts looking like super old bit like in um home improvement when the uh, the teenage son massively aged out and he looked like a 30 year old by the end of it but uh, I feel like yeah it's the issue the, the issue they're gonna have with uh, stranger things like for because they're doing one more season of that i feel oh are they well they should just do a tra- time jump and take it forward shouldn't they really yeah they really should with that yeah yeah I hear everyone talking about this Eddie guy that everyone seems to really, really like. He was like into heavy metal and stuff. I, I, I lost track of Stranger Things after he, the first he, series. The, spoiler alert, he died, so don't worry. Oh, right. Well, 
Thanks, mate. I won't bother with that then. Jesus I Christ. I because I give a fuck it's Stranger Things. Do you want me to start spoiling everything on you as well? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoil John Wick 4 on me. A lot of people die at all. <laughs> no, Mark. You got that wrong. A hilarious amount of people die. <laughs> anyway, Shazam. Fury of the Gods. Um, so, yeah. The, one of my main issues, I think, is... Asha Angel, who plays Billy Batson, and Zachary Levi, who plays him in his Shazam form, do not seem like they are playing the same character in the slightest, right? Now, yes, when he says Shazam, he becomes, you know, Shazam and gets the fucking wisdom of Solomon and the strength of Hercules and the stamina of David Luiz and all that. I, 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 fine, whatever doesn't necessarily does it massively change your personality that much because to me it's kind of jarring how sort of reserved and i don't know just sort of down pat uh asher angel is and i think the thing that bugs me is that if it was just him being like that around people that didn't know he was shazam but when he's speaking to like the other the adoptive kids in the family who also take on the shazam forms in the movie then it, it you think he would be his sort of usual kind of goofy self, but he isn't. And then Zachary Levi comes on and he's just cranking up the goofy, um, way goofier than he was even in the first movie. And I just, the thing I don't like about it is it just, it kind of feels like that really horrible thing that we just see too much in too many of the Marvel movies now, which is like every line is like a silly meta commentary about how stupid something is. You know, every time they're introducing like a new thing and he's like, Whoa, I can't believe this is, and you're like, oh, God, just, just fucking accept it like that. That's, that's what the wizard's telling you. Or, you know, that's, that's what the, the current situation is, mate. You don't have to always come up with some sort of zany one liner. Um, uh, like, but whereas, like, on the other hand, um, Jack the and Grazer and Adam Brody, who are like Freddy, um, in the movie, they feel more matched personality wise, and as a result of which, that character seems way less irritating than what we get with Shazam. Um, and I don't realize just because the movie is Shazam, he's the main character, it really fucking ruins it for me the way he was acting in it. I just, I, I didn't like it. Um, the story's fine, you know. Uh, you've got Helen Mirren, uh, Lucy Liu, and uh, oh, our actress Rachel Zegler, I think, is the, the other actress, who are the three daughters of Atlas. Uh, and they <laughs> basically their their homeland was destroyed, uh, and they're seeking the power of the the staff that the wizard had that was broken in the first movie, so they can kind of restore their homeland. Except that Lucy Liu decides that nah, I don't just want to restore our homeland; I also want to fuck Earth up as well. Um, so <laughs> first of all, it is very strange to see Helen Mirren in this movie because Helen Mirren is not doing the sort of like snarky subtext of oh, we're all in a superhero movie thing she's playing it straight so is Lucy Liu so that's what makes it kind of tonally a bit of a neck breaker for me that they don't have that same sort of weird meta commentary of every scene kind of thing going on that they're in they, they feel like they're actually doing a good job and as a result of which they are pretty good in the movie um, well in fairness they probably you know like I can't imagine Helen Mirren's like grasp on comic books and the context behind it is, is to the level where she could look at something like Shazam and, and understand the, the sort of subtext to it. She probably just saw, you know, like, all right, like this is the I'm this is a superhero film and I need to be serious and I, this is my character and off I go, you know? 
yeah, she was good. Um, I, I thought she was really good. Um, and I thought Lucy Liu was good too. And, and to be fair, um, Rachel Segler was very good at, uh, as a kind of like credible, you know, threat, persistent threat within, within the movie. Um, the rest of it, I just think it's a bit like loose around the edges, a bit baggy. Um, the thing that I absolutely loved in the first movie is the relationship between all of the kids in, in Billy's foster family. And we get little bits and pieces of their personalities in here, but it's one of those where if you hadn't seen the previous movie, I don't think you're, you're getting too much of a feeling for kind of their relationships and how they are. Um, it all feels a bit kind of rushed. There's a threat. Let's go and sort it out. You know, you see kind of in the first scene them trying to save a bunch of people on a bridge just their introduction to the character and the town kind of thinks that they're bumbling things and messing it up but yeah I just it felt like just a bit disjointed the whole film felt like a bit of an afterthought you know they were building up to a bit with Wonder Woman and she's mentioned enough times that you just kind of figure like well you know, at some point they're going to have to do a Wonder Woman reveal and, you know, you can kind of decide for yourself if that actually happens or not. Um, but, yeah, just not on the level of the first one. Doesn't have the same heart, doesn't have the same emotional resonance as the first one. And yeah, I just, I don't know, just... No, I haven't seen a good comic book movie in a while, Mark. It's, it's been a while now. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's, it's DC or, or Marvel. Um, they're all kind of getting a little bit on top of each other. And I don't know. I think people are going to... People going to stop going eventually, aren't they? Because like, this has been a massive flop. I think it's been out a couple of weeks. I think it's only made like $102 million. I think the budget was like 125 something in oh, that kind of ballpark. Oh, boy. So uh, it's, it's not been great well, uh, I wonder how the DCU uh, or DCE what the fuck's the, the universe yeah the DCE yeah, yeah. is DC like I as a whole um, I don't feel like the films have been commercial flops it's more they've just like critically been like wiped off the face of the earth no I but mean I they like financially they've done okay mm, they haven't really the last no? few haven't okay. done great no they really yeah I, I just they're kind is of it, is, is it like a kind of collective thing then because obviously the last Ant-Man film didn't do that great as well so is it is it an overall superhero fatigue that we're, we're hitting at this point not yeah, that's specific kind of, to yeah, yeah. One or the other because we, we, we've had the conversation a couple of times now about Marvel um, where we just you know feel like the, the quality isn't there and the excitement isn't there and stuff and I, I do feel the same way but I mean, Black Adam was, you know, the way it was being positioned is it was going to be like a billion dollar movie, right? I think it made less than 400 million um, on a budget of like 260 and God knows else what they spent on like marketing and everything for it. So in terms of like expectations versus reality, that was a, a huge flop. And then before that, even though that Suicide Squad movie was good, that that took less than the budget as well. And and then before that, you had the Justice League movie, which obviously they kind of had to stooge off onto onto TV. And the same with Wonder Woman. So they have not had a big knockout success uh, in this in this familiar. Now I think probably since the first Shazam movie, which in my head did quite well. I think it like it's like three or four times its budget basically, um, and that the critics did tend to quite like that movie. Um, I think Aquaman 
was a massive smash. Like I think that got to get to the kind of billion pound mark, but that was five years ago now. By the way, how scary is that? Aquaman five Uh years ago. (laughs) 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 Terrifying. Terrifying, terrifying. Um, So yeah, like if you haven't made a lot of money on a movie in five years, yes, pandemic accepted in the middle of it. I don't know what James Gunn's got up his sleeve that's going to kind of pull this DCEU out to start making cash. I I guess like the draw of James Gunn being attached in itself is, is something, but yeah, like the way things are at this moment, it's going to take a Herculean effort to, to turn this thing around, you know? Um, Mm. And again, he's very good, but I don't know if anyone is that good. No. Uh, I think yeah, but that's the thing. We everyone liked that Suicide Squad movie. It just no, it made no money. Everyone really liked Peacemaker, but how many people actually watched it? But again, and it comes back down to is it just like an overall fatigue? Anyway, we'll leave that at there as an aside because uh, some, something that it seems people still are not fatigued on is the old Jay Wick, uh, who I gotta be honest, I had the feeling that coming into this fourth one. The um, because I I didn't mind the third one. It was a bit long, but you know it did have a knife fight in a museum, and a guy got killed with a book, and John Wick rode a horse all within about the first fifteen minutes. So you know, like pretty pretty bonkers. But I did feel like this fourth one. It would feel like we were really like burning this thing at both ends. But uh, no, everyone's saying it's basically like one of the best action films ever made. If not, you know, it's it's up there. Uh, so. <laughs> Not to bury the lead, Jack, but how was John Wick 4? This thing absolutely fucks, man. <laughs> it's so good. I'm 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 sat there just beaming from like ear to ear and s- without doubt, like at least five, ten times, I just went, oh, fucking hell, like when something happened in the movie because it's one of those things, you feel like you've seen everything that they would have to offer in terms of action set pieces and, and kills and deaths in these movies, but you really haven't like they take it and kick it up a notch even beyond that um i think <laughs> for me like right out of the right out of the, the gate you know it sets up john wick so you understand who he is you understand that there's the higher table who are against him you understand they used to work you know for, for this this league this network of assassins and that he's now excommunicado and there's a bounty on his head so if you haven't seen john wick Everything you need to know is kind of summed up quite neatly in the first 10 minutes. And then they turn up to a place in Osaka and within a few minutes, some bad people turn up to Osaka. And then the next thing you see is a bunch of guys going into cupboards and getting samurai swords out, Mark. And I mean like a hilarious amount of samurai swords. I'm talking like hundreds of samurai swords you see him being loaded up and bows and arrows and ninja stars and this is from the first like 15 minutes and you're like oh, okay they're just gonna go straight in then and yes it just goes from insanely hilarious extreme action set piece one to another and it just is relentless in its pace because this is a two i think two and a half hours just maybe a, even a little bit longer than that movie which You know, if you found the third one long, I think there might be a danger you find this long. But honestly, I feel like they got the pacing of the movie just right, because 
specifically like the last hour of the movie where there's somewhere in a town that he has to get to without giving any spoilers away and everybody in that town is being told they need to kill John Wick and the bounty is going up and up and there's a person on the radio communicating all of this information while they flip and play different tunes for people to presumably murder John Wick to. Oh, Mark, <laughs> it's just awesome. Every single set piece, every, like, kill, every, every ridiculous death. There's a, a bit, um, again, without giving the location away, there's a bit where there's a staircase with 200 stairs and John Wick has to get up these stairs, Mark. And he has to bow his way up these stairs and it is one of the most kick-ass sequences I've seen in an action movie in, in a very long time. I'm just sitting here laughing, thinking about it now. Um, he goes up the stairs, he goes down the stairs, he goes back up the stairs. Uh, yeah. Is, is it like, how is it done in... It's not like one continuous shot, right? It's it's spliced up. It It is spliced up, but there is a lot of continuous as well. Like, it's on that stair scene it does stay on him for quite a long time. So you are seeing a lot of choreographing. Um, like the choreography in this scene must have been like incredibly difficult to set everything up here. Uh, it's just, it's so impressive. And like, obviously like all done, you know, at nighttime as well. You know, I could just imagine them filming this scene at like, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, making sure everything was right. It's just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a brilliant movie. It's one of those things where... <laughs> The plot, mm, I, it's it's very straightforward. You anyone could kind of understand it. There's nothing too complex. Um, I mean, honestly, with the way you know, I, I've heard this film described by you and others. I think that if you're pushing, if you're if you're turning the dial to eleven on the the action sequences and the set pieces, that if you then try and incorporate. Uh, uh, not a convoluted plot, but something that's got too many twists and turns to it. The pacing between those two things, I think it's impossible for those things to not clash. So I think, because, you know, like the original uh, John Wick is a very straightforward film as well. And I think one of the things that makes it so effective is because the story is so like route one that, and, you know, for the time it felt very refreshing to have this kind of just route one plot, but push everything in terms of, of the the action up to 10 um, that, you know, you, you didn't have to kind of worry about all of these kind of twists and turns that drag everything down. And it seems like John Wick 4 does the same thing, but it just pushes up to 11 instead, of, or maybe even pushes it further than that by the sounds of it. Yeah. I mean, very early, you see Bill Skarsgård and you're like, okay, this guy's a scumbag. And at some point in this movie, I hope John Wick kills him. Um, <laughs> and John Wick to get to him even has to go through a lot of people and he does it in in spectacular fashion um but yeah bad guy you know fucks around with some people from john wick's past you know dramatic death again no no, no spoilers dramatic death in the john wick family to set everything up to get you on board set piece set piece set piece credits <laughs> it's yeah it is very simple and it but it's just yeah it's hard it's hard to describe without actually kind of telling you the deaths telling you the kills um i think you know there's some really awesome turns in here i think donnie yen as kane is just fucking awesome you know as as, as someone who's kind of set up as a persistent threat 
chasing him all the way through the movie. Um, Shamir, Shamir Anderson, who kind of made his debut in in the John Wick franchise, he uh, I thought was very cool. I hadn't I hadn't seen him in anything before, but I absolutely loved him in this movie. Uh, and of course, you get the usual class from Larry Fishburne and Ian McShane that you would expect. But Mark, just 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 a lot of action, <laughs> just a lot of hilarious deaths uh, in this movie. So yeah, I go see it. It's it's impossible to describe the spectacle of what you're going to see because whatever I'm going to say is not going to do it justice. And uh, yeah, all I'm going to say is uh, I am Klaus as well. When you get to the I am Klaus scene, you, you will enjoy it. Uh, funnily enough, this is on the list of things I, I plan to see. So uh, I mean, go yeah. see it tomorrow. Like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> uh, making a game. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that takes um, up a lot of time. Yeah, I feel like if you watch this movie, the game that you're making might change. <laughs> like, I uh, I don't think so. I don't think I'd have the capacity to make a John Wick style game. Um, yeah, not yet. Not yet. Anyway. If, if Keanu Reeves says a hundred words in this movie, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that most uh, Keanu Reeves films? In fairness, he is he is not one. He is not a verbose type of actor. No, I mean the first thing that happens in the movie, like this, really isn't a spoiler. Is Larry Fishburne walks into a warehouse, sets something on fire on the floor, and just looks at him and says, "You're ready." And he just comes and very breathly says. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then I think his second line of dialogue is also, "Yeah." <laughs> so there you go. What are you gonna do? He's a man of look, very few words. All right, I'll uh, I'll, I'll drag things back down, um, quite far down. Uh, I watched uh, a film called Operation Fortune, uh, which is the new Guy Ritchie directed uh, flick. Which Operation is, Fortune. The way you said it was like it, made it sounded like Operation Fortune, <laughs> which is a movie I don't want to watch in 2023. Wikipedia describes this as a spy action comedy, and um, fine, I guess you could fit it in the spy genre, but it neither I, I would qualify neither as an action film and certainly not a comedy film. Uh, this thing stars Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Josh Harnett. Um, and and Hugh Grant, who I think uh, he's like he's kind of a uh, the kind of big villain of this film to some degree, and I feel like his character is like something out of a one of the the a hitman level uh, in uh, slash that and his character from The Gentleman, um, which is a much better. This film is this. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant he, is the owner of a medical company. <laughs> I, I feel like Hugh Grant in this kind of like, I don't know if this is like the, the kind of third uh, part of his acting career, has just decided to just, ham- like talking of pushing things to 11, but he's just kind of pushing this sort of like uh, kind of London crime lord sort of syndicate caricature just up to 11 um and in fairness he does it very well because hugh grant is a tremendous actor but Mm -hmm. he's certainly kind of found this niche and he is just like going with it Uh, and i don't know if guy rich he's you know with the gentleman just went yeah all right i want that and i'm going to put this in this film um he's by far the best thing about this film um jason statham and aubrey plaza is a very weird pairing and (laughs) Yeah, like I don't even know how that would work, and, and it sounds it, like it doesn't. It doesn't work, no, because like Ori Plaza. Um, speaking of of actresses, uh, who you know, there there is a 
there is a character that you kind of associate with with Aubrey Plaza. Very, very dry, very sarcastic, very uh, just not wanting to be around other people or associating with other people in any way, f- in any form or fashion. It's just her and, face and her body language and just says that for like, her. She doesn't even need to open her mouth. But the thing is, like, that character works really well in something like Parks and Rec because she has the other characters to bounce off of that makes her character stand out that much more. Or and Scott human- Pilgrim. <laughs> and Scott Pilgrim, obviously. Yeah. And what the, the dynamics of that is what brings the, the humour um, up, up to, you know, a, an enjoyable level, which makes Parks and Rec as good as it is. But because there there is no... Like, Jason Statham is just Jason Statham, but he's a very dialed-down, watered-down version of what you would expect from Jason Statham. Like, he fucking oh. is sleepwalking through this film, and I don't blame him because... The plot is a dime a dozen spy movie. Like, there's nothing here, you know. Like, basically, um, Josh Harnett is uh, an actor who um, Hugh Grant's character, this this kind of syndicate crime lord. Um, he has a real thing. Like, he's a, like the biggest fan of, of him, but he also is a fan of like uh, famous people or their their wives, and you know, basically taking them from them. So they have. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, who is a spy along with Jason Statham, she kind of acts as Josh Harnett's wife uh, to kind of infiltrate. And it's yeah, it's like nothing that we've seen before in this kind of like honeypot style sort of um, plotline. But again, because it, it it's trying to be a comedy film, but there is, I'd say, maybe one or two lines uh, like early on in the airport scene that kind of work. But in past that, it's just, it's got nothing. It's got nothing at all. Everyone feels like they're sleepwalking their way through this. I feel like Josh Harnett maybe is trying a little bit harder because I can't think of Josh Harnett's career in the last couple of years has been doing anything particularly of note. Correct well, he was wrong. in the last Guy Ritchie movie, which is called Wrath of Man, which also stars Jason Statham. Uh, yeah, so there noticing you go. a theme here. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's just not great. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend it. This is a. It's not. It's not a Netflix. Flick. No, it's just a. No, no, it's just a an out and out right. Uh, it's a Lionsgate production. Um, I wouldn't recommend. That's all, all I can say. Probably one of the worst things. I think the worst thing I've seen in the last couple of years was the. Um, was it the bubble? I think it was. Uh, with like poor David Duchovny. He deserves so much better than that. That's still probably the worst thing I've seen. Uh, but this is is very very close next to it. Just because just lack of effort on on all parts basically on all parts like you know you think of a guy Ritchie film Hmm. and i like quite a lot of them but he has got real shockers in the back catalog as well do you remember that man from uncle movie he made that was fucking awful uh i remember finding that okay the king arthur movie i never saw that so his movie um, with madonna swept away blind didn't see that (laughs) just don't but like you know you go in the back catalogue and you got your like Lockstock you got Snatch the Sherlock Holmes movies were surprisingly fun that he made I actually quite liked The Gentleman um don't know if that's a popular opinion but I thought no, it was no, I like The Gentleman I think The Gentleman's a, a very good film um yeah. the like I, how the I fuck did Guy he directed up, Aladdin <laughs> how the fuck did Guy Ritchie end up doing Aladdin like yeah <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> you, you look at that man's back catalogue and, like, I don't know, someone's there, like, watching rock and roll and thinking, yeah, yeah, I think we should get him to do Aladdin. I, I feel like this. No, what the fuck? 
Um, I, I, anyway. I can't tell you. I can't tell you why that happened. Um, also, that Aladdin movie was largely pretty bad. It was um, great. There were some all right moments from Will Smith. Um, and uh, yeah, the Prince Ali song was pretty cool. But no, in, in general, those Disney live actions range from middle of the road to not good. Oh yeah, it still made a billion dollars though, Mark. Of course it did. Of course it did. A billion dollars. <laughs> so you can sit here and show Guy Ritchie his Operation Fortune, Aruz de Guerre, all you want, but at the end of the day, I mean, he's, he's grossed a billion dollar movie in the bank, so... Yeah, well, in fairness, I don't fucking think this one is. Yeah, maybe they should... That's DCEU. Maybe they should reach out to Guy Ritchie. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon? Well, or just like bolt the Disney. I think they just need to bolt the Disney machine onto the side of it. Well, Oi, actually, no, because it's not working at this point. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Jason Statham in like a Superman or a Batman movie? <laughs> well, in fairness, there's. I, I feel like there are a few people left in Hollywood that haven't appeared in a DCU or MCU film at this point. Yeah, he is one of them, isn't he? Like. Hugh, Hugh Grant? I don't think he's been in anything. Actually, I think most of the people in this film haven't been in anything yet, so uh, there we go. Was Hugh Grant like a cameo in one of those movies at some point? Ah, we're talking. There's quite a few films we'd have to go through to get to that point, and I'm, I, I don't have the energy to do that right now. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I don't think it was. I don't think he was. Um, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking because he was. Um, he was in the um, Glass Onion, wasn't he? For like. Yeah, twenty seconds or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Too busy making those kick out that kick-ass Paddington movie is what he was doing. Do you know I've never seen a Paddington film? Oh my god, watch both yeah. the Paddington movies. They are delightful. They yeah. are delightful. Um, Sally that, Hawkins will warm your heart. That that reminds me. I uh, we watched um, the um, Nick Cage unbearable massive weight of talent whatever the fuck that thing is great movie uh, and yes that is a tremendous film and pedro pascal just what a man I mean, he's that, on a heater that, right now that man is uh he, you know he can't he can do no wrong oh he can do everything yeah i just hope he doesn't get burnt out making shit movies um mind you he was in the movie you hate it wasn't he the bubble so there you go uh, he was but he was also the best thing about that film so you know i'll uh uh, it, yeah, he was the only good thing about that film. That's Christian so. Bale's move, move at the moment. It's be the best thing about a shite movie. Well, do you know what? Like, it's I, I can see, I, I can see how that can work in some ways, but also like, yeah, um, I'm not watching Amsterdam anytime soon. I, you know, I guess I do need to see that Taylor Swift bit at some point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just watch her get shoved under a car. It's yeeted, right? Yeeted. Absolutely, she just got sent, fucking emailed. <laughs> under that car uh, anyway right. anyway uh, over to what we've been playing and um, first of all I finally started the new team ninja game Wulong um, Fallen Dynasty which is uh, follows team ninja in the uh, likes of the Neo series that they've done previously which I have no experience with, but I have now played 30 hours of Elden Ring, so obviously I am an expert on all things Souls-like now at this point. Um, I, I will try and do my best to not make any comparisons with Elden Ring, um, and really just kind of talk about this purely from, obviously, you know, the, the limited knowledge I have and experience with these style types of games. So I'm just going to give you, you know, just for what it is, and if I think it's any good or not. 
Um, it's an over-the-shoulder, third-person, uh, historical fantasy action role-playing game. Um, you play... I still haven't quite figured out what your character is yet. He kind of just sort of pops up out of nowhere in the middle of uh, this village that's been attacked by uh, some pretty evil bastards. And uh, he just kind of comes along and starts fucking shit up. With each level that you do, you have a sort of side character with you who kind of helps you out, which is obviously one of the big kind of uh, changes here from the flow of what Elden Ring is. And I don't know if Neo does a thing similar. Um, what's really jarring coming from this from Elden Ring is the fact that like this, and I understand that, that Neo is the same. They're incredibly linear experiences. Um, and they're also like level select style. It's a, it's a level select system. So... You know, the first area in is maybe like 40, 45 minutes long. Um, and, you know, you might have like one slight deviation here or there, but it's not even to the same degree with like a God of War Ragnarok, which obviously, you know, like you go on a, a linear path and it doesn't give you too much, but you could go off to the left and find like a puzzle and be stuck on that for like 10, 15 minutes. All along, at least for, the, you know, I've only played for a couple of hours, I've only done like the first three levels. But it's not doing anything way off in, in that regards in terms of giving you too much of an area to explore. But it is doing a very similar thing to that Souls-like experience of, right, you've got, uh, you know, challenging sections. And in between those, you've got uh, a bonfire or in this point, it's like a battle flag that you plant in. That's your checkpoint. That's your save point. And then from there, you can spend your experience points to, to upgrade your character. Um there's a it's not that you really break the game but certainly like by the time i got to the first boss um there is that proverbial wall that you hit where um you know you this boss is like massive he's he's quick he's uh, an absolute bastard to try and take down when you do get him down to to his health to nil you then suddenly realize he's got a second stage so you have to do the whole thing again but it's now twice as hard and it's that kind of like, oh, what the fuck do I do with this? Um, honestly, the thing that I did is I spent about an hour just going back and going through the area because once you hit put a battle flag in or, or go to a checkpoint, uh, all the enemies around spawn again. So I just went and basically grinded for an hour to get myself up to like level 15, I think. Um, but even then, the thing with Wulong is that, uh, and you know, I feel like this is a, a thing that's kind of, key to Souls-like games, and I'm sure Sean will tell me otherwise, but um, this game really is about using your parry and, um, you know, it being a, like a real necessity for for these boss fights. And I really like the parry in this. It feels a lot more lenient than other parries that I've used in other games recently. Um, it's telegraphed enough that it's, you know, you're not spending... 10 15 minutes doing this dance of death trying to just clock on to like what that like the iframes of this animation sequence um sorry not the iframes just the, the frames of this animation sequence like where it is to the frame that you need to hit the parry button like it is a little bit more lenient than other ones that i've played um and so therefore like while it feels like a wall um if you do just a little bit of grinding and you just get the grasp of what that parry at the parry is in this game um 
Boss fights aren't as intimidating as they first seem. They are certainly when you see them for the first time, but you quickly get a kind of grasp of how to use that parry system and, and how to use it effectively. It also, again, because you have um, a side character in each level, it does seem quite quite similar to some of the Elden Ring bosses where um, you know the boss will get distracted with them for a bit, so you can kind of jump in and, and hit a bunch of attacks and and uh, and then kind of like you know take a step back and, and get some space between you and, and the boss um and uh, yeah i i quite like it honestly i think that and i, I mentioned this in the chat the other day that you know look ob i think objectively it it would be easy to say that elden ring is a better game but i do think i probably overall will prefer playing will long because it's got a slightly looser hack and slash feel to it in the combat where you know obviously the souls games they're very stiff they're very um uh particular they're very just heavy and it's all by design obviously um but Wulong just feels a little bit looser a little bit more hack and slashy which plays more to the style of like this kind of game that i would prefer anyway obviously i did over time get adjusted to what uh elden ring is but I, I do prefer just having that little bit of looseness to work with where, you know, if you do hit an attack, um, you're not just completely like, like, right, for the next six or seven seconds, this is the animation I'm doing and there's no way I can get out of this. Movement just feels a little bit quicker, a little bit more dynamic, uh, where you don't feel so like committed to this one attack. And, you know, you're going to make one hit, but then take four hits back. Um, maybe some people will say that it just means that I'm I'm lazy and I should get better at the the systems and patterns of of a Souls game. Um, and no, no, I'll play the games that I enjoy. Thank you very much. So I, I think I'm going to stick with this. It's on Game Pass. Um, so you know, like playing this between the PC and playing it on the Xbox, jumping between the cloud cloud save is great. It's not by any means like the best looking game. Um, you know, I feel like we're at the point now we've we've hit this peak with the, the kind of graphical fidelity that we can hit with, with video games. And obviously there'll be stuff that comes out. I'm sure Final Fantasy 16 will look unbelievable. I mean, um, it does. Have you seen the uh, footage of it from this week? Uh, I saw word. the bit where you were going between the cracks in, in a wall because we still can't figure out a, an interesting way to do uh, transitions between scenery. But, you know, I digress. Uh, no, that, everyone that really look. gets bugged by that, don't they? Because like that it's is just. I it's it. I I think the issue is that instead of having that like once or twice per game, you get to a point where like every single level has four or five of those, and it just. Honestly, I get to the point, it's like, I'd rather you just gave me a fucking loading sequence than put me through this facade. I know what this is. I know why this is here. And you see so many kind of times where games and, like, the, the direction of the games is, like, having to figure out how do we implement, like, a crate of boxes in a particular way or, you know, a wall that's closing in a particular way so that we can justify having that, like, small animated sequence to load between areas. And it's just like... I'd rather you just give me like a fucking Resident Evil door loading scene, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. It, it just it just doesn't bug me really at all that. I'm just like, yeah, it is what it is. I think, you know, once you get out the other side, you get to where you need to go. But it, surely it's got to be more artful than loading, hasn't it? Um, it's, it is, but I, again, I just think it's because 
because it's like the one thing and yeah, I'm sure there are other like different types of animated sequences that uh, games use that you don't even register but it's just it's the one that you you see so often and it's kind of, it's just it's just a bit tiresome like we can do more than that or we can do something different I don't know just give me things that are different anyway whatever Wulong pretty cool check it out the other thing that I got back into this week I'd say about like six or seven months ago uh, I was talking about a game called Peglin which is on early access on Steam, which is this uh, like roguelite Peggle game. And we mm. are fans here, linked to the cast, noted fans of Peggle. Best game Peggle ever. Two and Peggle Knights. Second best Peggle game ever. Related. It's a very, best very DLC good game. ever. Very, very good game. <laughs> um, and, and I was talking actually about this with a friend of mine over the weekend about the fact that it's kind of surprising that more studios didn't take that peggle mechanic and try different things with it or try and like bolt on like just various like gimmicks and mechanics or whatever and try something and see if that if you could make something with it and i and i said at the time and it still you know it rings true now that this kind of roguelite attempt of what they do with um with with Peglin and there was a game that came out a number of years ago that was called like 100,000 million or 1 million I can't remember the exact name of it but it was basically like a match 3 game but like the moves that you did corresponded to uh like uh kind of like a sort of turn-based RPG uh fight sequence that was happening at the top of the screen and Peglin kind of does something similar where you have your character um you throw your, your, your peg on to, or your ball onto to the map and you're hitting all the peggles and for each peggle that you hit uh, will do a, a number of points depending on what the peggle is, what kind of gimmick is attached to it and a number of other factors and however many points you get from that, that then gets fired at the, the nearest enemy that's coming towards you and take, you know, however many hit points um, you've accumulated on that turn. And the idea is that you're trying to clear all of the enemies that are coming towards you in, I guess, kind of like a sort of tower defense sort of way. And if the enemies do get to where you are at the end of the map, uh, they'll start attacking you and your character has like 100 hit points, but you can uh, accumulate more. And the enemies vary in different ways. You have some that have like projectiles. You have some that are like more kind of tanky. Um, and, you know, the game does a really good job of, of varying up the way that you can be attacked and how you can attack back. Because all of the orbs that you collect do many, many different things from... Uh, you have one orb that's like a fireball that does slightly more damage. It does give you damage as well every time you fire it. But also there are like bombs. Uh, there are pegs that are bombs on the board. And uh, normally you have to hit that peg twice to explode the bomb, which will do 50 points of damage to all enemies on the screen. Uh, but with the fireball, you only have to hit it once to explode it. Um, you have other orbs that increase the amount of points, attack points that look, will accumulate on that specific peggle. So if you hit it one time, uh, the next time that you refresh the board and hit that peggle, you can do like three points of damage instead of one. And that stacks as well to up to like 15 or 20, like something crazy like that. And so over the course of a run, you know, if you've played anything like a Dead Cells or a Binding of Isaac or whatever, your run will vary depending on the, the, the runes that you pick up that do all these like passive abilities and the orbs that you pick up that again kind of vary in size. The things that they've done differently now um, to, I guess, kind of increase the challenge. One thing is that uh, where, I can't remember how it was before, but now at least, 
the the peggles on the board um there are some peggles that have coins inside of them and you need to collect those coins in order to buy orbs at the the end of the turn so not only are you trying to uh, obviously you know take out your opponents but you're trying to collect uh, as many coins as you can to give yourself enough money to either um replenish your health at the end of that level upgrade those orbs or um or buy new orbs as well and there's obviously only so many uh, coins you can collect so you have to kind of pick and choose what you want to do like maybe you've only taken a little bit of damage so you won't replenish your health this turn and hope that you'll be fine for the next turn and focus more on like upgrading orbs instead and so it you know adds this kind of risk reward element to it as well um they've done a bunch of tweaking to certain orbs they've added a bunch of new ones as well um and and like different scenarios that can uh, and a can occur um and it, it feels like a much more fleshed out game the biggest issue that i still have and i don't know if this is like intended for the end of the game is that it still only has three like quote-unquote biomes or worlds or whatever you want to call them and it still feels like the end of that third world feels like it feels like there should be one or two more afterwards it feels like it ends just a little bit too soon with that said of the like maybe 15 attempts that i took at this fucking thing over the last three or four days i only actually managed to beat the entire game once so um for me it still feels like there should be another world or two but you know my gameplay and the fact that i only beat it once does kind of say otherwise uh but i think they're doing some really like good things with this game i think they've added some really interesting um elements to the game and gimmicks that kind of really you know just continue to flesh out what this game is and i think that you know whenever it gets its its 1.0 release uh i i do hope that um you know i've been playing on steam deck it's a perfect steam deck game i i think it's absolutely perfect for people to pick up on that i'd love to see it get something like a switch port it's 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 a handheld game it really is um it's not the kind of thing that you need to blow up on a 4k tv or anything but definitely definitely worth checking out if you have a steam deck uh, and you know I, I've been playing it a bunch on the PC as well before as well but I yeah I, I think Peglin's a really cool idea for a game and um, I, I don't know if the 1.0 release is pegged <laughs> for this year I hope it is um, because I, I feel like people are sleeping on this thing and I, obviously it's in early access but I, I do hope that we get that that uh, 1.0 release this year because uh yeah I, I think it's it's a sneaky little gem that when it does come out is is going to take people by surprise yeah i mean i <laughs> anything that kind of has comparisons to peggle makes me immediately interested in it did you um did you still have it purchased from before or did you pick it up in the steam sale no no i i got it like again like six or seven months ago and mm. um they've just all of the updates everything they're doing is just part of the early access program so okay it nice. was just a case of, you know, um, every now and again, I open Steam and you see all of the, 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 the games that you have that have got an update. And I saw that Peglin had one. So I looked and, you know, the developers are really good about communicating. Hey, like, here's all the things we've done. Here's all the patch notes. Uh, and, and it feels like they're updating that thing every other week or so. They've been they've been pretty, pretty on the ball with it. Um, nice. So, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a good game. Yeah. A good it, unfinished wanna... game as well. You want to get it like that 1.0 release so you can uh, nominate it for 2023 Game of the Year, obviously. Damn fucking right, I do. Yeah, okay. Because I, I, I don't have much else to pick from at the moment, I've got to be honest. Yeah, that's because Final Fantasy 16's not out yet, Mark, that's why. 
Yes, yes, that's the one. <laughs> I'm sure that will definitely, undoubtedly, be your game of the year for 2023. What uh, else well, would it I, be? I mean, I have to ask you: have you have you played anything uh, other than Hitman Freelancer in the last few weeks? Because this this has been your running theme at this point, Jack. <laughs> No, <laughs> I've just been playing Hitman Free. I've now unlocked every single weapon in Hitman Freelancer. Um, so like I've I've got everything. Um, I think I'm about level fifty four in in Freelancer, which is yeah. It's not like you know he goes up to a hundred, but yeah, that's that's been my main vice. But um, I've got some long train journeys coming up this week, and I've got Octopath Traveler downloaded, Octopath Traveler Two downloaded. So I'm gonna give that a bash this week. Um, I just, yeah, I need to kick the dust off. It has been like a month uh, straight of just playing Hitman Freelancer right over and over again. Um, and I'm not going to apologise for that because... No, look, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you. I, I, you obviously you are the noted Hitman fan here at Link to the Cast. Um, and the fact that they've added this new feature to it and, and breathed, breathed new life into... Not that, you know, like the core world of Assassination Trilogy was uh, on its last legs anyway, but... Yeah, yeah. It is cool to see what IOI have done with this. And, yeah. uh, they rolled yeah. out another roadmap recently as well, and they're adding more elusive targets and contracts and stuff in. So, yeah, this is insane because we, we spoke about this at the time. If we was like, all right, is this going to be it now? Are they done with Hitman and they're going to fully move on and concentrate no. on Bond? But <laughs> apparently not. No, still, still got stuff coming out, even if it's kind of some of it's a bit like. You know, you're just using existing assets or recycling things or whatever. It's still still rolling stuff out there for people to, to keep them in the game. I mean, really, when you think about it, like, you're, you're playing some of the levels you're playing in Sitman 2016. People have been playing this for, like, seven years. And there's not many, like, single-player uh, games like that that people have been playing for seven years straight, really, <laughs> and, and continue to play, um, and continue to play variations of, I would say. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's doing well for itself anyway, I would say. Uh, all right. Well, that is it then for what we have been watching and playing. So we'll jump over to the news uh, and we actually have quite a few things this week. Um, I do have the very, very unfortunate story to talk about. Uh, so last week was GDC, the annual event, uh, games developer conference in San Francisco. Uh, a whole bunch of people that I, I follow on Twitter have been out there. Uh, networking and, and doing all that good jazz. Uh, unfortunately, though, game developers and others from within the industry are speaking out about multiple folks who were assaulted or spiked at this year's GDC event. The the conference, self-described as the games industry game industry's premier professional event, championing game developers and the advancement of their craft. Um, that ran between the 20th and 24th. Uh, as the event drew to a close, however, attendees began sharing concerning stories about their experiences at the event. Uh, women at GDC this year have been belittled and undermined in their roles, been hit on relentlessly, and had their drinks spiked by predatory men, tweeted developer Lena Van Deventer. Uh, two women were even lured up to a hotel room by a man in a position of power for a pitch, where he then assaulted them. It's gutting to thud back to earth when hearing these things. They shouldn't happen. This year, we shared their photos in group chats, though, and we strategized for dress, and we reached out to the women to provide care. We're better at being kind than you are being a dead shit, they added in a subsequent tweet. Um, yeah, and, and a bunch of other developers as well also kind of shared stories as well about this. Um, it's just... It's, it's insane to think that, like, now... 
I've spoken to uh, a number of different people over the years, uh, developers, publishers, people that work in the industry, journalists and whatnot. And they've spoken about different events that they've attended uh, in San Francisco and, and elsewhere um, about just the fact, you know, there are certain individuals, uh, mostly men, that do act in this way. Um, that either act in a in a predatory manner, in a just basically in a manner that isn't fucking acceptable, and the fact that it's still happening, um, it's a kind depressing. of combination. It's depressing, but it still doesn't come as a surprise because, like, this oh, no. sort of thing still isn't being stamped out to the degree that you know uh, these men feel like. Basically, these people feel like they can still get away with it, and that's the issue. And you know, the fact that this is blowing up as much as it does, uh, I think, is certainly for the organizers of the event, for organizers of other events. Like, you know, this sort of thing is not going to be kind of tucked away and, and kind of forgotten about. Like, this is going to be brought to the attention every single time because, as, you know, the guy says here, for every, like fucking awful human being that's acting in this way you have that many more people that are going to kind of come together to support to help and to you know shine a spotlight on these fucking scumbags to uh to just get them out of the industry um and it's just yeah i mean i'd say jack i'll bring it over to you for your thoughts but like hey scumbags are awful get them out of the industry like you know hot takes yeah and like stuff like spiking people's drinks that should carry a prison sentence it's you're essentially poisoning someone um what why the fuck is that not you know <laughs> why the fuck is that not found out and 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 people being actually sent to prison for it i i stuff like that i just think is so despicable and i wonder how you know how widely it gets actually investigated if someone's had their drink spiked do they, do they go back on security camera footage and see who did this and, and hold them to account for it like it's all very well and good seeing a lot of these stories and people standing up for people blah 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 all of this kind of stuff but part of me is just like so furious it's like well, can we see some fucking um people either being publicly named <laughs> as as being scumbags or thrown in prison um, for stuff like spiking people's drinks. That, that's what I would like to see out of this. Um, yeah, hate it. Hate that people act like this way. They don't... It's not a, a game exclusive... A game industry exclusive problem. It's a societal problem. It's one of those things like, you know, treating women like shit and, or like racism or like any of the obias and isms that you can think of is, is, is a society's problem. It's not just an industry problem. So we should do whatever we can to fucking minimize the impact on, uh, on regular people from, uh, awful, awful people. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's do what we can. And, uh, yeah, quite like to see some people go to jail for actions like spiking drinks in the future, if that's possible. Go to jail go directly to jail yeah don't pass go don't collect two hundred dollars we have had of all things uh counter-strike 2 has been officially announced and will launch in the summer of 2023 a free upgrade to csgo it will start the new era of the game on valve's source 2 engine which the company promises will mark the largest technical leap forward in counter-strike's history the upgrade is available in limited testing as of today of this report, which is from a few days ago for some CSGO players. 
The full range of features will be announced at launch, but it will include upgraded and overhauled maps, game-changing dynamic smoke grenades, tick-rate independent gameplay, redesigned visual effects and audio, and transferring all CSGO items to CS2. More information can be found on the Counter-Strike 2 website. Uh, so I watched a little bit of this, and certainly one of the things that looks really cool is the way that smoke grenades work. Um, because usually, if you think about a smoke grenade, it gets launched, it explodes, and you just get a big cloud of smoke. Um, and, yeah. you know, obviously it blocks your vision and you can walk through it, or if you're in there, you're kind of obstructed from on, from view for X amount of seconds. But the way that the smoke, it works in this game is, is incredibly dynamic, where if you, like, the smoke appears, but then you start shooting through the smoke, it actually creates, like, small holes in the smoke that I guess would occur in real life. It feels a little bit more kind of cloudy and a little bit, it's not quite as realistic as it probably works in real life, but it's a fucking video game, so whatever. But the way that, you know, like, if you uh, throw the the grenade in a small kind of confined area, the smoke will fill out that area to fit the shape of wherever it's in. So if you've got like a kind of small like ring or a semicircle, it will fill out that shape instead of just creating like a mushroom cloud. And it looks like, you know, the math that has to go behind making that kind of thing, it's, it looks very, very impressive. And I imagine uh, there'll be, uh, you know, pro strats on how to use that effectively. Um, I, I've never been a, a Counter-Strike guy. I've, I've maybe played like two matches in my lifetime. Uh, I don't know if this is a thing that you, like, are you the, the CS pro of Link to the Cast? <laughs> I mean, I, I played it quite, quite a bit when I was younger, um, for probably for a couple of months. And then I remember picking up a little bit again when the, um, orange box was, was released but I would to say I was a pro would be extremely dis disingenuous to anyone that is a genuinely good Counter-Strike player. I am not a good first-person shooter player in general. Um, but yeah, I, I like Counter-Strike. Um, I think it's it's cool. Um, I'd be interested to see whether uh, Counter-Strike 2, do we get a Battle Royale Counter-Strike mode, do we think? Because that could be a, a big game changer. I, um, I don't think so. I think if they were going to do that, they would have already done it at this point. I feel like part mm, of... Maybe. Like, Counter-Strike exists in its own sphere, in its own bubble. Yeah. But I, I don't think it needs to bolt on a gimmick like that. I, I think for the, the, the CS purists, um, that would probably do, do the damage of turning more people away from it than actually bringing on. Oh, I don't think it would. I think you get a lot of people going to it. Because Warzone is just you know, racked with cheating and problems and stuff. And you, you know, Fortnite kind of still reigns supreme in that, um, massive battle Royale kind of game environment. So it'd be cool if there was a genuine competitor to it at some point. Uh, I, I guess I just, again, I think the CS, I, it's, I think it just it exists in its own sphere. Um, yeah. And, and valve tend to, they just do their own thing. I, I don't think, uh, I just feel like if they were going to enter the Battle Royale kind of environment, they would have... Uh, there were actually reports this week about uh, a Left 4 Dead 3, and I think there would be more interesting things to do with a Battle Royale system in a Left 4 Dead than there would be in a Counter-Strike. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you, you definitely have like a Battle Royale-style situation in Left 4 Dead, couldn't you? Oh, absolutely. And it yeah. would whip. It would whip. Yeah, just release more and more zombies. Exactly. <laughs> like, the, the lower you kind of get to towards, um, or the closer you get towards survival, just the more and more zombies become unleashed on the map. That'd be pretty great. 
Um, Amazon Luna. Do you remember this, Jack? I remember we spoke about this like a <laughs> year or actually, two ago. Did it actually happen, Amazon Luna? Apparently it, it did. Uh, I think part of the issue is it wasn't available in the UK up till now. Uh, up until this point, it had only been available in the US, but now more Amazon customers will have instant access as it will be available in the UK, Germany and Canada. Amazon is offering multiple lunar subscriptions as well as Twitch integration. The lunar controller is also now available. Prime members will have access to a monthly rotation selection of games at no extra cost. This month, it includes Capcom's Mega Man 11, which is good game confirmed. However, the main bulk of Luna's offering is available with Luna Plus. It's a monthly subscription offering access to a diverse range of games, including indies and retro games priced at $8.99 of your British sterling pounds. On top of that, Amazon has partnered with Ubisoft to provide access to titles such as Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Watch Dogs, and more for 15 quid per month. Honestly, that doesn't sound like the best deal when you put it like that. In addition, a subscription to Jackbox Games is available for four quid a month. Uh, Amazon is aiming to partner with more publishers in the future. Luna also, as mentioned, has integration with Twitch. Uh, players can search for a streamer and watch directly from the Luna software, plus broadcast themselves using the broadcast button. The Luna controller is priced at $59.99, uh, but also third-party Bluetooth controllers can be used, or even a smartphone for certain games. Luna will be available across Fire TVs, Fire Tablets, Windows PCs, Chromebooks, Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Android phones. Um, this also comes off the announcement of a new range of Amazon Fire Smart TVs coming to the UK on top of the 4 Series and 2 Series TVs. Uh, Amazon announced its Fire TV Omni QLED series featuring the Fire TV ambient experience. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, Amazon, they, they don't fuck about. No, the way you were kind of describing the game subscription is almost like... Do you remember back in the day you would get like a cable package with different channels so you gotta pay like four pound for the jackbox add-on and this much money for the this add-on or that add-on is, that, it, is that really it seems i don't know if that's how it's going to be for everything but um i don't know if that's a sustainable like, it isn't you know <laughs> like i don't i don't see anyone paying 15 quid for for ubisoft and then 15 quid for ea and then 15 quid for activism blizzard no he has that kind of money Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think he might have an in uh, to get a free Luna subscription. Mark, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I think he could be all right in that kind of area. But yeah, so it's, you, uh, are, you, are you looking forward to paying 15 quid a month to play Watch Dogs for free? No, <laughs> I played that Watch Dogs Brexit game for a couple of hours, and I realised I hated it. So that was kind of it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it's. It doesn't, from what you've described, it, it doesn't sound like it has like a USP to drive people away from Game Pass or, you know, whatever the hell PlayStation service is doing these days. There's no like massive hook, line and sinker in there really for me. Um, the Twitch thing might sway streamers. You know, if you are a popular streamer and it's easier to integrate uh, f via Amazon Luna to play your games, then that might get some people over potentially but i feel like if you're a pro streamer you probably already have great ways of playing pretty much anything that you need to play um on twitch already so i don't know that it's going to help too I, much I, more i i think the things with this um that's going to determine whether it's a success 
obviously the idea that you know if you've got a smart tv that has access to this the idea that you don't need a console you know or if you yeah. you know you got your fire stick and you just can plug it into a tv and off you go that's fine and all bundle with prime as well like the basic yeah. version of this should just be you know straight bundle with prime no extra money and then you know if you want some add-ons or whatever then you have to pay more but Mm, having it like there being like a pro version and this version and that version that's where it gets really confusing and just convoluted and just no uh have one thing and there's like the basic version that's bundled with prime for free or you can upgrade to the the better version um and then you get all of this stuff as well like there shouldn't be more than two price points it should either be with prime or then a version above that where you pay maybe another five quid on top of that and get you know this that and the other thing on top i I think i I think we'll see in time if because it does seem like 15 quid is quite steep for that that kind of plus tier um so i guess we'll see with time if anyone does buy on that i I could see us coming back to this in like six months to a year time where they either drop that price um or they just yeah like i mean i i don't think they would just do a full-on bundle it with prime because it doesn't i don't feel there's enough of a financial incentive because like so many things here i either you know i can play on on x amount of other devices and I will say this, I feel like the way they have set this up, it's a lot more streamlined and simplified than Stadia. Uh, I, I, I think that it's it's much clearer to understand what this is and how it works. Um, I guess the one thing to see is like if I, you know, as far as I can see, there's no way to actually buy these games. You know, like just, hey, you're on here. These are all the games that are available. You can play them. It's a cloud platform service. Go for it. Uh, obviously, the the kind of like, response time between you know the input time has to be kind of is is crucial because there are so many things that i want to play or have you know tried to play through like say you know game pass on my phone or on my steam deck or whatever the case may be and it's like there are certain games that that are fine because there's that kind of like dead zone between when you input a command and it happens that it's not going to kill the game you know name your turn-based game of choice but for that kind of like more instant based like twitchier style of game my connection certainly isn't strong enough for for that sort of thing and you know if you're playing in a hotel room uh, i don't feel like that's going to be that's not going to work um so you know that that i i don't think that was the thing that killed google stadia i think the thing that killed google stadia is the absolute mess between the fact that they just basically pulled the plug with about three minutes of announcing the thing but also you know the 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 money they put into like their first party stuff went out the window um and the fact that it the, the messaging around it felt very convoluted i do feel like with amazon the messaging is clearer um i guess a lot of it just comes down to is there actually a market for this thing um you know you mentioned they the usp yeah i guess there isn't as much of a unique unique usp for this but it's like is there just a marketplace overall for this because uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with my Xbox and using Game Pass, and I, I, I don't know. Like, for some people, there, there may be a thing where this works for them, but I feel like it's such a niche market. Yeah, that's why I said bon- it's got to be bundled with Prime initially to get people onto it, and then maybe, you know, you gradually, after sort of six months, go, hey, this, this thing's another five quid, and then maybe after, like, a year, you go, hey, 
there's basic versions now an extra five quid on your prime bill is that all right and hopefully people are that much hooked onto it by that point that they, they kind of see it as an essential um but i don't really think like, it's going to take a lot to, to get people away from from game pass i think the console mentality as well um you know if you're a pc gamer you've got your pc then you know half of the fun is like what can i you know what sort of output can i get it like what graphics card can i put into it like how much better can i make my gameplay experience if you have a console you kind of know where you stand that you know that the second you boot something up it's going to be great it's going to run probably really well um and then there's only going to be those exceptions every now and then where a game comes out and it's shit but that's on the game it's not on the hardware um everything's hardware compatible so to me it's convincing people that a you can't just play off a fire stick and it's fine um and and b that (laughs) there's a killer app or something some reason to ditch your xbox game pass but if you've already bought an xbox or a playstation the likelihood of that is is very small it's almost like you've got to get kids um because they're always doing deals on like echoes and fire sticks and stuff aren't they on prime day mark so if they did like a prime day deal and they were like hey the controller's 30 quid and then you can play all of these games for six months for free uh, maybe that's how they do it i don't know we'll see we'll, we'll see in time um i'm just still like it's gonna fail <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they're in the right position yet you know Maybe I mean, I will say this, considering they've, like, it's been around for, what, like a year, a year and a half now, and, you know, they're now at the point where they're expanding it into uh, three other countries as well, I guess means at least that there's either, there has been some level of return on investment on this, or they feel that it's still a worthwhile venture. I think that alone means that this is already more successful than Stadia, which, yes, is the lowest of low bars to accom- to overcome, but hey, they've overcome it anyway. And, you know, Amazon, well, I mean, fucking, in fairness, Google has m- more money, but they just don't know how to use it correctly. I feel I like Amazon Who's got more money, Amazon or Google? I think, wasn't Jeff Bezos the richest man in the world at one point? Uh, yeah, he was at one point, surely. Yeah, so I, th- I feel like Amazon might have a bit more clout than Google. Yeah, yeah. Either way, they're both disgustingly rich and they've both produced products that no one cares about. So, yeah. And they both should pay their taxes. Anyway, um, <laughs> yep. so this, is, this was an interesting one. This got announced today as a recording. Uh, Multiverse's open beta will close on June the 25th. Uh, so this is basically the statement they put out to today, and I'm just going to uh, read it as it has, says here. Uh, this is Tony from Player First Games. I'm here today on behalf of the entire Multiverses team to say thank you for your support during our open beta. We've been excited to see the interest and enthusiasm from the community, blah, 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 blah. Let's get through all of that. Uh, right, so to do this the right way, we will be closing the Multiverses open beta on June 25th, 2023. As part of this process, we'll be pausing updates and taking the game offline as we prepare for the launch of multiverses, which are targeting for early 2024. So, at minimum, you're looking at about eight to nine months there. If you're, if you're, I'm sure you're wondering what this means for you. During this downtime, all online modes and features will be unavailable. You will have limited offline access to the training room, known as the lab, and local matches, along with access to your characters and cosmetic items within these modes. We know this news might be disappointing, but rest assured, Multiverses will be back along with a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, But the crucial thing about this 
is that uh, if you scroll all the way down, they've got an FAQ to, you know, for a bunch of questions they were expecting to, uh, to be asked. And the question in uh, particular, well, we... So what will happen to previously earned or purchased in-game content after the open beta? All progress and previously earned or purchased content will carry over when Multiverses returns in early 2024. Great, cool, fine, whatever. However, will refunds be available for previously purchased content? This announcement does not change any current refund policies or terms offered by the storefronts from which Founders Packs or Gleamium bundles were purchased. For more information, please visit customer support pages for PS, Xbox, blah, blah, blah. Additionally, refunds are not available as a result of the open beta closure however all progress will again carry over now i'm sure in the terms and services somewhere 50 pages deep into that thing it will say something about you know we maintain the right to make whatever changes to the game your purchase is the final yada 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 kind of kind of pretty sort of cut and dry for the sort of thing however I can't imagine, you know, anyone that's making a purchase of this. For, for a start, I didn't even realize that this was still in open beta. I thought this was 1.0, but I glossed over the conversation we had last year about this. Regardless, the idea that you make a purchase of something and now you are unable, unable to play this in its kind of full experience for at minimum the next nine months isn't great. The idea as well that you have this kind of early access beta thing and you have battle passes and content that can be purchased and all this kind of stuff like your beta is meant to be there as the thing to test whether this game works and whether people enjoy playing it not to you know fucking sell battle passes and I guess probably I'm imagining the beta is also there to test like okay what works in terms of battle pass price uh, points in-app purchases, blah, 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 blah. Like, that is pretty fucking abhorrent. It's kind of part of the course of the games industry, but I am not through As someone who's not played Multiverses, has no interest, has not put any money into it, I kind of find this disgusting. Yeah, thoroughly unsurprising, though, I guess. Um, it it kind of just depends on how much of the stuff that people have purchased and unlocked or whatever properly carries over into whatever the new version of the game is going to be in 2024, doesn't it? Because otherwise it's just a whole bunch of progress for absolutely nothing. <laughs> so maybe they'll give you like a month for free or something. I don't know. You- yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like when it comes along, um, people that were there as part of the beta, I have to imagine they'll do, you know, some kind of make good for them. As you mentioned, whether it's like a month free or or some like a, a character for free or some something like that, um, but you know we won't hear about that until uh, kind of early next year. But um, you know, there, I don't think there was anything there for anyone to think that whenever we got to like the 1.0 version of this, there was going to be anything because I can't think of any other game of this because we were talking in the chat today like even Fortnite when that went to its 1.0 I don't remember that game being offline for more than you know certainly wasn't like maybe there was probably a couple of days to get it ready which you know if Multiverse is like okay look we're going to 1.0 it's going to take us say a week to get ready for it I don't think that's that big of an issue but like the rest of the year hopefully early 2024 like there's not even a kind of deadline they're, they're planning for is I know we don't do the Randy Pitchford Award anymore, but this would be a strong fucking early contender for me. Maybe, maybe. Um, (laughs) 
I think you're underestimating the rest of uh, 2023 if you think that would win, though, to be true, honest with you. True, but I, I, it's certainly within that wheelhouse. I think it, it certainly fits the spirit of, uh, of that award. Yeah, I guess so. It's all right. Everyone's going to be playing Counter-Strike 2 by then anyway, so no one will care, right? <laughs> <laughs> the final bit of news, uh, not really news as sorts, um, but a PSA that the Nintendo's Wii U and 3DS eShop will close on Monday. Oh, no, sorry. It will close 28th of March at 1 a.m. UK time. So basically, by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, they will have both closed. I'd be um, very interested to see next week how much money Garrett managed to cram in <laughs> on those two services. <laughs> well, he was saying he was saying there was only like so much money you could actually like get onto that thing at this point. So he was probably like very limited to what he could get anyway. Yeah, I saw him say there's a daily limit to how much money you can add to your account, <laughs> and I was like worried for how much he was spending in that time. It is it's astonishing. It's, it's astonishing how much like Nintendo hate actually taking anyone's money. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm surprised that these stores are still running anyway, especially the Wii U one. I'm like, ah. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there there is the, the very fair conversation to have around games preservation. And certainly, you know, over the last like 10, 15 years, as uh, digital storefronts have become more of a thing with, with our video game consoles, and you could even stretch this to something like Steam as well, that, you know, when these services go down, like your access to these games, uh, it, you know, game preservation, just it, it becomes a thing that like, hey, once Pushmo is once the 3DS store is not then not there anymore, Pushmo is not a thing that anyone can buy anymore. And that sucks because you know, that is a great game and there are loads of other games as well. And there's no way to get these games anymore in a uh should we say fair and legal setting um you are right like in terms of the wii u that thing never exactly had much traction to begin with in 2023 i can't imagine them you know the returning investment on keeping the servers up for that thing obviously you know it makes f- all the financial sense to close that thing but it does go, go without saying that there are things on that store and on the 3ds store that just aren't going to be available anymore and the industry hasn't yet figured out the way well i mean you know certain companies have figured out the way and that's just to remake these games and then you know sell them for 70 quid and in fairness it's kind of working out for them so who am i to to complain about that as we talk about resident evil 4 next week probably um but there's all these kind of smaller weirder quirkier indie titles that aren't either a i'm gonna see the life of day anymore or b you know like while it'd be great if we could find a way to you know get them onto to an indie platform or something there's probably some sort of rights you know agreement that you know if a particular game was made for the 3ds nintendo owned the rights to it whatever the case may be you know you could go down the list and i'm sure there's going to be minutia and details to each one of those games that has a different story to tell um with that said look there are ways to obtain all of these games if you need to. If you want to know, hit your boy up. I can give you the deets. Um, I, <laughs> I, I've decided I'm going to take it upon myself over the over the next week or so. Um, I'm I'm intent attempting to uh, hack my Nintendo Wii and my 3DS. Uh, Doug Bowser, if you're hearing this, come at me, bro. Um, 
because like yeah there's there's loads of stuff i'd like to get for the 3ds that you know just just weren't going to happen and there's can you just play on steam deck you can but the thing is right the ds and the 3ds and honestly every nintendo device like post even like the fucking N64 and, and the GameCube have their issues as well with certain games in the controller setup. But specifically like the DS and the 3DS, that dual, dual screen. That yeah. dual screen just doesn't lend itself to anything that isn't a dual screen device. Uh, and also the Steam Deck that doesn't seem to be able to play a lot of 3DS games particularly well from what I can see, or the ones that I've tried anyway. Um, so I think I would rather just... Uh, I mean, I've ordered a couple of micro SD cards. I'd rather just bolt a bunch of stuff onto that and then just plug that into my 3ds and play it that way um and for the wii i don't know i i have a, we're playing it like a bunch of like we have a, a a zumba uh dance game at the moment for it and there's a there's a like an abba dance game as well um and so i we were like you know fuck it we should play a bunch of these but obviously i don't want to go and find them so i'd rather just hack my wii and play them that way so well, fair enough yeah, <laughs> I don't know why the idea of you just dancing around your front room to uh, to the sounds of Fernando by ABBA while doing Zumba just really tickles me for some reason. Uh, if somebody entirely, told that's you, an entirely reasonable response to have to that scenario. I if get someone it. told me like, "What's Mark doing right now?" I'd be like, "Yeah, you know," and 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 then somebody slapped like a live footage of you fucking. <laughs> There's something in the air tonight. I'm just like, "What is going on with this motherfucker?" I do not understand what's happening in front of me. But that, um, that should be what I stream next on Twitch. That will bring the numbers in. I mean, it will bring in numbers. I don't know if it's the right sort of numbers that you're going to be looking for, though. But I will say though, the thing, like even more so than that, the fucking the Zumba game that we have. The thing that surprises me every time when I launch it is a big logo slaps up and it says 505 Games. It's like, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. How did, where did, where did Halo and Zumba meet some sort of Venn diagram where this is happening? But anyway, never mind. Um, yeah, did you like? Uh, do you you still have your Wii U, right? I've still got. I've got every Nintendo console back to N sixty four, and I've got a NES Mini and a SNES Mini. What what layer of dust currently uh, exists on all of them? Um, <laughs> some of them are in boxes, so very little. Uh, my Wii U is still out, but yeah, I, it's behind my TV. Um, I don't know if I want to go back there, Mark. I'm not sure what's back there. <laughs> there, may, there may be like new organisms living back there that I can't even understand or comprehend yet. So, no idea. <laughs> but you still but, got your 3DS as well, right? Uh, I have... <laughs> I think I've got... I think I've got three 3DSs. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to guess one of the, let's see and let me see if I can figure this out because I'm trying to remember because there's like 40 different variants you got and a three, 2DS you got a 2DS obviously uh, yeah. a 3DS XL yeah I got 3DS XL um, like a big one yep uh, I've got like a Pokemon limited edition one because of course I do uh, and then I've got like a smaller like white clamshell 3DS um, like the original size of the 3DS yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I still have And a, I have the Pokemon Pikachu Limited Edition 2DS. You know the one that's just completely flat? Oh, yeah. Uh, and you know what? It's still in box, and I haven't ever, ever opened it or fired it up. So, I don't know. Is it worth something? Maybe. Probably. Probably not that much at the moment. I'd say though. you could put a down pause on a house with that. 
<laughs> I don't think so. If I keep it for another like 10 or 15 years, maybe. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I've never opened it. So it's it's sat there. I'm waiting to get that. You know, like when you see how much uh, unopened N64 games go for and stuff now, mm-hmm. where some of them are going for like thousands and thousands of quid. Maybe one day someone will want to buy my, my uh, Pikachu 2DS XL. I don't know. Or 2DS, flat 2DS. Yeah, I mean, if anyone me, wants to, if one wants to pay me a few grand for it, by the way, hit me up at Jackie's. <laughs> you're more than welcome to. I doubt it's worth that. I don't know if it's worth more than why I actually paid for it, which I think was probably about hundred odd quid, maybe. I can't remember. I'd say so. You probably get a few hundred quid for it. Maybe, maybe it's still in the box, so maybe on that basis, possibly. I will say though, for me though, like. Um, with the 3DS store closing, um, not that I obviously I've used my... Th- I think the last thing I properly played... Well, I played um, the Ocarina of Time 3DS remake last year because uh, I got like a bundle of games and that was in there for like 20 quid, which was a still. And there's a bunch of 3DS games that I would like to play, but the market on those things is still at a cost price point that like as much as i want to play the majora's master 3ds remake i'm not spending 30 40 quid that cex are asking for it um and you know there's a bunch of other things that i never played i've never played like a phoenix right ace attorney game um i know there's like the the marion donkey kong game uh there's, there's a whole bunch of things that i've not tried that i'd like to and what you got till 1am <laughs> no no I've got all the time in the world because I know another way of, of getting access to them and, and that's going to be uh, a little pet theft. project of mine over the next week dirty lowdown theft yeah yeah again Doug Bowser you know where, well you don't know where I live but <laughs> isn't he gone now anyway Doug know. Bowser did he I can't remember actually who the, who the fuck is on, on Nintendo of America at the moment or was it just Reggie that left uh, well, he did leave a while ago now. Yeah. Nintendo, I, think I think I was thinking of Reggie. I think Bowser's Reggie got, still he's there. now involved with like NFTs or something. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Reggie. Yeah. Is anyone still involved in NFTs? Why? Uh, there are. It was quite funny, actually. Um, there was uh, there was a side-by-side shot of GDC this year and last year, and there was like a uh, whatever kind of section of GDC that's made up for like Web3, crypto, metaverse, all that kind of nonsense. And it showed like the list of sponsors. And I think either last year or the year before, it was uh, like just fucking rammed with every logo you could think of with with like game studios and, and sponsors and blah, blah, blah. And this year it was maybe like half the amount um, which was a real kind of clear, like, yeah, yeah, you've realised now there's not actually any fucking money to be made in this thing, you idiots. Um, so that was good. I, I got, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Let it die. Anyway, I think that is us for another installment of a link to the cast. Uh, as always, you can find us on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, please like, listen, share, and subscribe. Uh, as always, we do appreciate the support from you wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, we're, we're doing good numbers this year. I, I keep an eye on our streaming numbers, and uh, you people are listening, and honestly, like it, it means the world to us, so thank you very much for that. Um, as always, uh, we are at Link to the Cast on Twitter. Uh, Dave is at The Day to Dave. I'm at Living Project. Jack is at Jack Lazel. The Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Uh, Jack, it's WrestleMania week. Did you even realize that? No. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I really didn't. So there you go. Uh, I, I'm going to imagine you're not going to be staying up to watch any. Well, you're going to be in Exeter this week. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I but not for you, WrestleMania. You're, you're not staying up for WrestleMania night one or two, I imagine. I mean, I don't need to. <laughs> I'm all right. Well... You are the stronger of the two of us. Well, actually, no, I, I won't be staying up to watch anything. Everything I'll be watching the, the next morning, uh, such Just as the luxury of my workflow at this point. Yeah, That's why I always have, you know, I don't think I've, there's barely any WWE pay-per-views or pay-per-views in general that I've ever stayed up for. I'm always very much just like, there was a new episode of uh, Succession that got released last night and uh, Succession's been one of my favourite shows for like the last decade. And I thought, do I stay up until like 2am when someone rips it and puts it online? And I was like, nah, I'm just going to wake up in the morning and watch your first thing when I've actually got some, you know, wits about me. So yeah, it doesn't seem worth it with any of these, with any of these things. Maybe the things that are like actual live events, I guess, mm, just stay off Twitter and just watch it later. Seems like an easy way to, to do it. Everyone works from home these days as well. Just get a dual monitor set up. You're all good. Yeah, I mean, for me, like the last thing that I watched uh, live was was uh, Double or Nothing from last year. And that thing finished, I think, about five, half five in the morning. And yeah, no thanks. That was kind of like, I think I'm done with this now. I'm 35 and I, I can't hack this in the way that I used to. So, yeah, I very much, I'll catch it in the morning, see what I need to see and uh, leave it at that. As much as much as the Twitter discourse is, is good and gravy and, and, you know, seeing live reactions, I'm kind of done with that shit now. So, uh, anyway, but for anyone that is, is staying up for anything this week, uh, do have fun with it because there's a frankly upsetting amount of wrestling happening this week. Um, which, you know, I'm sure myself and Brian will try and recap. I guess we'll be doing a show next week. So, yeah, you can look out for another episode of The Grap Up. Uh, maybe next week, maybe the week after, because I think he's actually in, in LA for a bunch of that. So he might not have recovered. Um, but until then, uh, we should be back, hopefully, with a full compliment. Um, so until then, enjoy yourselves. Take it easy. Have a good week. And uh, thank you again for listening to another installment of A Link to the Cast. <laughs>